you? How are you? Oh, you know, I'm drinking bubbles and wrangling a dog on a Tuesday night. How are you? I am doing neither of those things, but I am I am good, I guess. Good. <laughs> I, I realized you didn't actually answer the question because I was going to nope. repeat what you were, and then I was like, oh, you didn't say. Um, but That's what no, we call I think, avoidance, Andrew. Yeah, I think I'm doing pretty well. Uh, <laughs> just making it. It's a Monday night. Right. For you, yeah. it's a Monday. Because yeah. you live in Anaheim and I live in New Zealand. So it's Tuesday for me and Monday for you. And this is Trip It To Me, a travel-centric podcast where we talk about the cultural phenomenon, Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer! We, we did it, everybody. We dragged Shelby to a cultural phenomenon. And I, she okay. wasn't even dragged. I would thank you. Thank you. I went very willingly and very enthusiastically, which to Andrew's credit is extremely unusual for me. So I know I, I don't know what did it. I don't know if you're slowly winning me over. I don't know if now that I've turned 30, I'm just embracing my youth. I don't know what's happening, but I did. I did go willingly. If anything, I kind of dragged Ben. I'm in shock. I don't. I don't know. Like I never expected this. It's maybe you're you're getting past the point of like who everyone else is doing it. I want. I don't want to. Maybe. Do you think that's happening? I think I'm just recognizing what I want, and I'm trying to do those things. That's right. And I'm right. thinking less about everybody else. And so if I just happen to do the same thing that everybody else wants to do, then that's fine. Yeah, that's great. How freeing. Then you could, like, talk to people about it if you wanted yeah, to. Or but, you could but, not. But probably not. But I'll talk to you about it. That well, sounds look, nice. Look at us. We're wow. here talking to thousands upon thousands of our dear, gentle listeners. Tens and tens <laughs> of tens. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, yes. Well, I am excited to talk about those movies, but before we do that, what are you drinking tonight? I have some bubbles in my um thrifted wine glass, yeah, which wonderful. I'm yeah, I'm quite happy with. We actually we found a set of 6 at the thrift store, like a whole set, and there were no chips or scratches or anything like that. So, I'm quite pleased with our find. And, um, yeah, I really am in my, my bubbles era. Yeah, it seems like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. How what long do you, you think thinking? it'll last? Yeah. Sorry. Well, I think I'll probably go, like, another month, and then I'll need, like, a good long break. And then I might circle back to it. Okay. That's kind of my feeling. Um, it might last longer, though. That would be nice. Uh, I'm to answer your question. I'm going back to it. What's becoming a standby? A Cali Creamin, a vanilla cream ale, mm. uh, probably my favorite beer. That wow. I keep, that's like cheap. <laughs> I mean, it's not like super yeah. cheap, but it's it's. Uh, I think it was like nine dollars for a six pack today, and I was like, yeah, I'll get yeah, that. Yeah, and the uh, the sales, the retail business, we don't call that cheap. We call it highly affordable and great that's quality right. for the money. Yeah. You got you getting into retail? Really great quality. 
I'm not getting into retail. I'm getting out of retail. Okay. You, yeah. You want to go back? No. Bubbles era comes to an end and Shelby's getting back into retail. Oh, bleh. No, but I do think that the retail skills are just applicable for really anything. I do like um, that I could probably pick up anything and try really hard to sell it. So that's fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think your, um, your, your very high quality ale is, um, I'm sure it's lovely. It's, it's quite good. I like it. I like it a lot. I had a drink question for you. Okay. I was thinking of trying like a red wine at some point. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want something mm-hmm. sort of so, somewhat sweet. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what should I look for? Yeah, you could try a Zinfandel. Okay. Uh, a white Zinfandel is, uh, is not red. So you just need like a Zinfandel. Okay. <laughs> Which right. is somewhat self-explanatory. Uh, you could go for a Merlot because a Merlot tends to be a little bit on the fruitier side, but could still be a bit dry. The, so I... This will I tell would, you how much I know about wine. The only mm. thing that when someone says uh, Merlot, I just think of New Girl and Schmidt <laughs> calls it the horror of the vineyard, I believe. And I agree entirely yeah. with Schmidt. <laughs> so does that yes. mean I, I am low class if I drink that one? Uh, no, not at all. Not at okay. all. all right. um, it's kind of the equivalent of like Chardonnay with white wine, which for a long time I imagined that middle-aged white housewives of Napa just drank Chardonnay and therefore I thought it was the trashiest wine. Now, I actually really love Chardonnay. So I think it is what you want it to be. Because we are in our 30s Barbenheimer bubbles era, and we do what we like, and we stop thinking so much about what other people like. Very good. Well, I will I will seek a bottle of one of those out and yep. let you know my findings. Okay. You could always look in the dessert wine section and look for a sweet red. And, hmm. like, okay. it'll, be, it'll be really sweet, but you could always kind of work your way backwards. Start yeah, with that, something that's sweet. That's a good idea. Yeah. You could um, ask my mother what she likes because she likes a sweet red. So just, mm. just send her a, a message. I'll just wait for her to listen to this in like six months or so. And then she can email Perfect. us. Perfect. to me at gmail.com. <laughs> While mom. I'm on the subject, two other bits of housekeeping on the, on the email front. Uh, we're now taking requests on what we should drink for our 100th episode. Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. We're like... 15 weeks out from recording it, but we'd really like to know. We would uh, really like to know. And it's going to go by fast. And the other thing we'd like you to email us about, again, trivetumi at gmail.com. Upon sitting down to record tonight, I was harassed relentlessly by my co-host because she found out that I took notes for this episode, which mm-hmm. seems like a fairly normal thing to do for a podcast, but... <laughs> Instead, I was just, just taken aback by how, how dismayed and seemingly annoyed she was that I had notes on this. <laughs> am I Unfair. in the, am I in the right or am I in the wrong? Okay. And only we, email if I am in the right. We need more context. Andrew and I have had multiple conversations lately about how he just does lists in his head. 
And so while I do know, Andrew, that you do show notes in our notes document, because that's what we do. Every single episode. I thought, I thought, well, we've just watched two movies. I know he's got a list in his head of what he wants to talk about. I just didn't think that you would write them down because most of the lists that you make, you don't write down. So that was um, my surprise. Okay. The annoyance was not actually annoyance. I just decided to not look at them because for me, I want to talk about the movie more fluidly. So if you have a direction to move in, then I'll just flow around that direction. But I didn't want to make notes with your notes. Oh, yeah. And if you had looked very closely at the notes, you had said you would see that they all are Andrew's thoughts and they are strictly bullet points so that I do not forget to talk about something that I wanted to talk about. Yes, but yin and yang, if there's a list of Andrew's thoughts, there should be a list of Shelby's thoughts. So I exited out. That's not true. I I cannot wait to hear your thoughts and... (laughs) We will, we will travel together in that direction, and we will be yin and yang, and we will flow with our river of thoughts about Barbenheimer. I also just try to take more show notes these days because I know you're busy and have a lot going on, so I just try to fill up the, fill up the sheet so that we're ready to talk about, and all you have to do is sit your pretty self down and, and, and be ready to go. You can have I a great really. time. I do really appreciate that. There's been several times, especially in the last like two or three weeks, where I sit down and I open up the document and I go, oh, thank God. <laughs> Andrew has made notes and thank goodness. So it's it's totally valid. It's totally valid. But Barbenheimer, I will concede, uh, I don't think I've ever taken notes for any of our other movie episodes. So I see thank your you. point thank and you. I will I will concede maybe I had notes on the, my desk. Uh, during the movie draft and a few oh, other of things, course. Uh, of but but yes, yeah, so you you are right. Yes. I just wanted the listeners to really support me for a bit. And <laughs> do you do you wanted feel to supported? fight back? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Do you uh, feel they, the silent army chanting yes. around you? Mm-hmm. Good. Yes. Uh, Good. What sh- what should we call my army? Uh. <laughs> Put you on the spot. I'm so sorry. I did not take notes on this. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we could call it AA, but because I think that's funny. They're yeah, your support. That, that'll group, work. But that'll work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Uh, I have a things. <laughs> I have a things I don't understand, Shelby. Wonderful. Tell me. This is um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where this one goes. I was thinking today. As, as one does, um, uh-huh. it's, I don't understand, I understand the mechanics of it, I understand why people do it, I think I understand all of it, but I don't understand how people are like, yeah, I need a tax break, so I'll make a huge donation, and that's what leads to, <laughs> that's what leads to the donation. <laughs> And like, I, the the more I think about it, I'm like, no, I I guess it's all good. Um, maybe not the, maybe not the mindset, but it's like, okay, I think I'm following all of it. And it's like, well, if they they wouldn't give that money if there wasn't a tax break, so I guess it's good that there's a tax break, and I guess it's good that they're giving that donation to hopefully a just cause. 
but like I like I can't comprehend. I can't understand the mindset of I need a tax break. I need to make a big donation somewhere. My my most immediate thought is that at the start of this you said that you understand the mechanics of it. So in essence you're saying that you understand the mechanics of the American tax system? No. But okay. I, I understand the very basic outline that I just said, essentially. Right. Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. I Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think the American tax system is absolutely berserk. <laughs> sure. I, did you know that here in New Zealand, unless you like own property and investments and business, like, unless you like really have stuff. Nobody here does their own taxes. You don't have to. The government will do your taxes for you. Well, that's and if you nice. have stuff, you can, yeah, you can hire an accountant. The accountant can do it to make sure it's all, you know, right and whatever. But the majority of people here, at least the people in our circles, they don't do their own taxes because they trust the government to do it. And when I explain why that is so mind boggling, they don't. It's like a new concept of like, you don't even trust your government to do your taxes right for you. And then I have to explain, no, the IRS will intentionally charge you as much as they possibly can. And they can make you go to prison. And then people are just shocked. So the American tax system is something that I don't understand. I do understand. It's all about greed, but I don't understand. Right. Uh, no, I don't understand that either. And that might be a different sort of things I don't understand because, like, it's too uh, complicated and too hard, frustrating for me to understand. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I was just thinking about how it would be to be filthy rich and mm. need to need to be like, oh, I need I need some tax breaks. Need tax breaks because the filthy rich don't already get enough tax breaks. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I like to think, I like to think that, I don't know, in the ways that it matters, the people who who donate to charities and things for like not tax break reasons, I like to think that like something good happens to them. Like, especially. Yeah, just like a extra popsicle in heaven or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Or like they get a particularly nice puppy when they go to adopt a puppy. Or <laughs> like maybe in Some their karma. neighborhood it, it rains a little less. You know? Like yeah. just, or, just something. Or more if they're into it. Yeah. Yeah. True. Or maybe like, you know, their rose bush. It just blooms a little bit extra this year. Yeah. 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 Their goldfish lives to be like 15. That's <laughs> no, that's what I want for these people. That's too much. That, no, <laughs> no the goldfish is like, please, no. Please, I don't want to. <laughs> oh, we're careening our way down to our best episode ever, I think. Uh, yeah. And Shelby's just no. making a face, which is no. something people do on podcasts. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Oh, but a tiny bit more housekeeping before we actually get into the the topic here. I mentioned 
going to see Parmenheimer in our next episode. We're recording out of order. Bear with us if you listen to all of these, because I will talk about it next week for like 10 minutes, too. Time travel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, it is. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, next episode, really great. Um, we've been there. It's so good. It's so good. Hang in there, it's guys. It's so good. It's a doozy. <laughs> is it? Time uh, travel. <laughs> yep. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, should we jump in, Shelby? With both feet or yeah. head first, whatever you want. Were you a diver or a... Or a Feet, feet first jumper. Uh, I was, um, I was a diver for sure. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. my grandparents had like a, uh, ten feet deep pool, and so we'd like chuck things and dive into the bottom and go get them, and yeah, diver for sure. Yeah, remember when you, uh, you and Bree and a few other people came to my childhood home for Melissa's birthday? Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. We, we spent some time in the pool. That was a lovely day. Mm-hmm. Thank you that so much for That was a lovely coming. day. It, me, I was... it's, it kind of warms my heart to know, like, oh, you got to see where I grew up. It was really nice. It was a very nice house, a very good pool. I Great was pool. so sleep deprived because I worked the night shift the night before. I'm so sorry. And so that whole day is a little like, ooh, <laughs> because I was very sleepy. You pulled it off well. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. If you're unaware, Barbenheimer is uh, the viewing of the film Barbie mm-hmm. and the film Oppenheimer. Not necessarily in that order. No. In fact, one of us did not do it in that order. One yeah. of us did it in that order twice, but we'll get into <laughs> that later. Um, Shelby, walk us through your, your Barbenheimer day. Well, and I think you already spoke to like how you how you were a part of the phenomenon, how you how you were happy to do it. Um, but yeah. but like, was it was it just all of a sudden you're like, no, I, I want to go see these or was it something you've been thinking about for a while? Well, we definitely knew Ben and I that we wanted to see both of them in yeah. theaters, which I think the last movie we saw in theater was Cocaine Bear. Yeah, it's been a while. So it's it's been a hot minute. We don't do movies in the theater all the time. So I knew but I wanted to see both of them in theaters. Hot movie summer comes for us all. It, it, even in New Zealand, apparently, when it's yeah. hot movie winter. <laughs> yes. um, I'm so sorry, everybody. So it's okay. So, yeah, we knew we wanted to see them. We, we didn't really make a plan for seeing them both in one day. Uh, in the future, I talk about some big changes that we're having in our lives right now. So weekends are like maybe kind of out. Like it just wasn't really a priority to make a whole day of it. But Which, fair Friday. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Friday, I was just like, I need a break. I tried so hard to convince Ben, call in sick, play hooky with me, and let's go do Barbenheimer. And he was like, I have things booked for work. I have to go. And I was like, and so then it was like, ah, I was very grumpy. Sorry, Ben. So then I was like, ah, well, maybe we can see one on Sunday. Maybe we can catch the other later in the week. And we had the weekend and it was way too short. And 
I was like, I can't go to work tomorrow. So Ben already had the day off because he had worked the Saturday. So I told him next time we play hooky, we both have to call in sick because that's only fair. This time he got lucky. He didn't have to call in. He already had the day off, but I called in. I bought us tickets and we had a full day. So we had a sleep in, woke up. Ben made me breakfast. It was amazing. We headed to the movie theater at 10.15. We saw Oppenheimer. I was so tempted to turn around to, like, the 15 other people in the theater and be like, is anybody else Barbenheimering? Is it? Oh, it's out, out. But I figured there was, like, an old couple there, and everyone else is kind of quiet. And I was like, I'm not actually sure this is the Barbie crowd. I didn't – I don't think I saw any of them at our showing of Barbie later on in the day. I could be wrong. But I really wanted to ask in a rare moment of, like, Shelby wants to talk to strangers. So we – 15 we sat. We watched Oppenheimer. Got out of the movies at 1.30 because it's a three-hour mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Saw the light of day. We, like, exited the theater and Ben's like, oh, yeah, it's, like, 1.30. We've got some time. And I was like, it's 1.30? And the staff person by the door was like, yes, yes, it is. And I was like, you are used to people having this response. You, you have this job for sure. So we walk out, we go, we get some lunch, we get some pizza, which is just so it? good. Oh, yeah. It was very good. What kind of pizza? So the shop is called Vinci's, and it is like a New York-style pizza place, okay. which is great because that doesn't really exist here outside of Vinci's. So it's got, like, the red checkered floor. It's got those, like, it's like the white T-shirts with, like, the red around the neck and the red around the arm with, like, that classic pizza low. Like, it's just classic. Um, and you can buy in a box or you can buy by the slice. Um some of the flavors are very kiwi, but the, it's fine. It's good. So the one that I got had corn puree, lime, and chili flakes. And it was very, very good. That does sound good. I was more adventurous than I usually am with pizza, but it was very good. I'd eat that. Yeah, that sounds yeah. That sounds great. We had, like, grown-up stuff to do with sending stuff off to our person who's going to maybe help us buy a house. And we had to run some errands. And then we did some window shopping for furniture, which, wows that. That, after Oppenheimer, was just quite an experience. And then we hit Barbie at, at 3.30. And when My we walked goodness. out, it was dark outside. The day was over. We went home to our crazy puppy. And it was just, wow, what a day. What a day. What uh, a day. I mean... Teasing about show notes and all of this aside, I am so proud of you. You did Thank it. You. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, you called out. You called out. You took a day for yourself. You went and saw two movies. I mean, oh my goodness. It was wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> so good, so good. Way to so go. So good. Tell uh, us about your Barbenheimer day. Okay, uh, Melissa's brother flew in. Uh, he is a he is a pilot, uh, so he picked up like a, a work shift to fly down here, and then found out we were doing that, and was like, "Yeah, I'll I'll go along," um, and then, uh, so on the Thursday, the day it premiered, we went, and we saw, we did Barbie first because it came out at three, and Oppenheimer came out at five, and. It just worked better for our schedule. So we, we went to Barbie at, at 3 and had a wonderful time. Um, everyone was, I mean, there were, the the theater wasn't, it was maybe half full, but there were like 
people dressed in pink and just very excited nice. like a mom with her with her daughter all dressed up for it it was wonderful and had a great time had our tickets ahead of time so we got just middle middle wonderful reclining seats wonderful. Uh, melissa had a birthday uh, rego combo so she got the large drink and the large popcorn and you Classic. can get refills and i don't know how someone, like as a person who likes soda, I don't know how people make it through that, um, but I did. And and then, <laughs> um, and then in between the movies, we had uh, maybe just less than an hour, and, and so I just stayed in the lobby. We'll talk about this next episode. And then we went into Oppenheimer, and, um, and like Shelby said, uh, three hours uh, and we're in there and it, this that theater was more full probably because it was six o'clock now on a Thursday instead of 3 p.m. on a Thursday um, yeah and then the weekend came we were not super busy and we have a like a movie pass adjacent thing right now so we've already prepaid for whatever movies we want to go to so Sunday rolled around and I'm like, hey, Melissa, want to go to the movies? And I'd be interested in re-seeing any of these, like four or five. And I listed them and she's like, yeah, let's go to Barbie. So I'm like, great. We went, had a wonderful time, very full theater this time. Um, and again, lots of dressing up, lot, just, a, just a really, I mean, everyone was there. It was so exciting. And then, and then we left, went home. And it was like, uh, it was like 8.30 and Shelby, this, uh, this was the same day you were doing your Barbenheimer and I knew, um, I knew we were recording this episode and I was like, well, I could, I could do it all again. I could. And, and so I did, uh, and went to the 9.30 showing and I, like I was, I was having the debate and in my head and what really pulled me in for the for the full four movies was like man i really want to feel those seats rattle again uh <laughs> like they did throughout throughout all of oppenheimer and I'm like, oh yes. i just i i want to feel that again and so so i went back and and again full theater at like 9 30 at night for a three-hour movie um, before awesome. a weekday, uh, yeah, it was great. had a had a wonderful time. Um, yeah, those those were my two experiences. Yeah. Um, I I should have switched it, so I did Oppenheimer and Barbie. One of them, Barbie mm. Oppenheimer. The other time, do you think you did the right order? I. Well, I. I've heard people say that Oppenheimer is like a bummer. Like, it's really heavy and, like, they've had, like, they've had to, like, go away and, like, process. I didn't really feel like that at the end of it. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> I, and I don't know if that's just because uh, the content that I prefer in movies is, like, heavy anyway. So, I, I, don't, I don't know what that was all about. But I, I do think that Oppenheimer was the more complex complicated which is the same thing it was the more complicated movie so i kind of feel like it was doing a full dinner like a full three-course dinner and then a dessert 
it would be really interesting to do Barbie first and like just enjoy the light fluffiness of it as like an appetizer and then go to Oppenheimer and be like, wow, I'm so full. Yeah. And I didn't realize until I said it that I was going to compare the viewing of the movies to food, but that's just kind of how it felt. So uh, we got to the end of Barbie and I was like, that was so much fun. It was pretty. It like zingy and it was funny and like surprising at times but like I really feel like Oppenheimer stole the show so I do wonder if I saw them in reverse if maybe they would be matched a bit more I'm gonna somewhat steal your analogy and and do a do a play off of it um it's like a night out right you're going to dinner and a show and dinner's that fun you go to a fun place, you have great conversation with all your friends, it's festive, you're excited for what's coming, and you're you're having a great time, and it's an amazing meal, and that's Barbie, and yeah. you feel great. And then you walk into whatever three-hour musical or, or stage show. It's like and going to Les Mis. Yeah, it, it truly kind of felt like that to me. And I've heard, I've heard nearly everyone say do it the way you did it. Mm. And... And I don't know. I haven't experienced it that way. But I come away thinking, like, no, this felt like the right order yeah. uh, where I kind of zagged. And and I enjoyed it that way. I, I don't know. I did think about Oppenheimer a lot more than Barbie, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in, in a little bit, I think. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it did feel like they're both events but they're very different events and one leads into the other but i'm not sure oppenheimer leads into barbie really yeah and i do wonder you know we had a lot of discussion about oppenheimer after we left the theater to take a break and when we left barbie we talked about it a little bit but not nearly as in depth and okay you could say that the content warranted more of a discussion for Oppenheimer than Barbie for sure but I do wonder like did we have fatigue you know if we would have seen Barbie first maybe there would have been more of an in-depth conversation right but after the end of a full day a very stimulating day maybe we just didn't have the brain space for it anymore fair enough yeah I think I think that makes tons of sense movie fatigue it's real yeah it is when you do five hours of, yeah. a, of a movie theater in one day. Um, you want to do like gen- quick, like general thoughts on each one before, and then and then we'll spoil things from there. So right. I'll try okay. to put them in the show notes, and if you've seen one and not the other, I'll try to put in times for each of them. But but yeah, maybe just some quick thoughts on both. Yeah, yeah. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, it, um, it doesn't matter uh, <laughs> um, we can do let, let's go in your order we'll go Barbie first well that's your order oh shoot let's go Oppenheimer <laughs> first <laughs> okay Oppenheimer <laughs> oh no I so appreciate that Christopher Nolan can do sci-fi can do comic book can do like political biography like so varied so so varied I really really value that about him and I think the thing that ties it all together is like really really complex characters and complex storylines and Oppenheimer is exactly that you have characters with 
lots of different motivation, with lots of different feelings, and like all of them are complex. You really don't have a simple, straightforward character. Um, Maybe Matt Damon's character is the one that comes closest to like having a real obvious motivation and kind of a one-mindedness. With all of Christopher Nolan's films, I look forward to the music. I look forward to getting lost in it. Visually, it's always stunning. There's always something to just be kind of amazed by. And visually, there's always something that you've never seen before. I thought Oppenheimer was... Long. I thought it was, um, I thought it was a really meaty intellectual story that was also extremely emotive. And I think that's, that's pretty significant when you're looking at something that is scientific. It's about things that people don't understand. It's about quantum physics. It's about American politics during World War II. It's about um, anti-Semitism. It's, you know, it's all of these things that are really, really hard. And yet he made a beautiful, beautiful story about it that still, um, has a lot of questions that aren't answered, but people are unanswered questions. You never get all of your questions answered. Yeah. I think, um, it's not a movie that I want to watch over and over and over and over again. But it's a movie that I look forward to seeing again and catching all of the things that you don't get that first time around, enjoying all of the really beautiful moments, knowing the things that are coming later on in the movie. And I do think that it it asks some really important questions. I know that we talk about that a lot when we talk about movies is like, what is it trying to say? And sometimes movies aren't really trying to say anything, but this story has a lot to say. Um, I think we could watch it multiple times and every time come away and ask a different question. So yeah, that was my thought on Oppenheimer. Yeah. I, um, I don't disagree with any of that. I, uh, I thought it was layered in a way that very few filmmakers could do. Um, Mm. but I think that comes pretty naturally or maybe it's not natural. I don't know, but the, Christopher Nolan does it exceptionally well, um, almost all of the time, I'd say. And yeah, it, the, I, I was fascinated by it. And it really took the viewer inside of um, uh, Dr. Oppenheimer's brain uh, in a way that I was not expecting uh, in a lot of visual ways that yeah. I would have never had guessed. Like uh, only... Only, again, only a few filmmakers are capable of that. Um, I thought the cast was brilliant. And there are so many people coming in and giving like a like a two-scene performance. And then they're just gone. And it's like, oh, so my gosh. So many people. They came, in, they came in throwing 100 and now they're gone. And, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, there are people like – I saw it twice. There were people – when I look over the IMDb, I'm like, they're in this? And I still still didn't realize. It, it's amazing. Um, the cast is incredible. The The score matched with the visuals is uh, wonderful. And I, I was really taken by it. Um, 
yeah i i thought it was really approachable for being like shelby said for being a film about um making an atomic bomb which i know i've seen it twice i still know nothing about um and uh yeah it it was it was very good i i really really enjoyed it uh yeah some we'll we'll talk more about it in just a second Let, let's do barbie really quick unless you have anything off of that and then and then we'll deep dive into these yeah i'm just looking at the cast list it's there's, amazing it's just, just like there's i did so not recognize people. gary oldman oh really ben and i no. had a moment where we like looked at each other and we we're like no he's just he's one of those actors he just slips into things and he is always so in character he is such a chameleon in a way that I think we we see very little of that kind of talent. It, he's yeah. incredible. And Killian Murphy, like, just give the guy his Oscar now. It, I know. What honestly. a performance. That honestly. Is, yeah, that was amazing. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, Barbie. Okay. I feel the need to say that while I wasn't 100% right, I was very nearly right and i just need to i just need to toot my own horn about that when you and matthew and i were talking about barbie i said i'm pretty sure at the end of the movie there's going to be a big song and dance number and you guys went oh no i don't think so and while the ken song which i guess i don't know if this counts as a spoily so if you haven't maybe just 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 skip like 30 seconds no it's not a spoiler ken sings a song Ken sings the song. While the Ken song was not the end of the movie, I feel like it was the beginning of the end. And it That's fair. reached a scale that was truly finale worthy. It, it was, you know, multiple settings, different costume changes. The dance numbers were huge. So I just, I feel the need to say that I called that one. You're right and also wrong. <laughs> Because the I ending was incredibly right. beautiful, but you're also right that it was the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of the end, and yes. I just knew there was going to be a big dance number. Um, this movie was <laughs> made by its cast in a way that I just, you know, when when we saw that Ryan Gosling was cast as Ken, I thought that was such a weird choice and I didn't understand and I thought that I wasn't going to like it. But now, like, no one else could be Ken. No one else could. I mean, everyone else was Ken, but no one else could be Ken in that way. And even, you know, Margot Robbie, um, I... And not just those two, like, really iconic characters, but Will Ferrell and America Ferreira. And, I mean, just, like, you could not have cast it any better. And the visual of it was was so amazing. I kept thinking about, like, all of the work that they'd have to put into that set to make it so perfect. And it was really that it was perfect. The level of snark of Helen Mirren as the narrator... um just the the breaking the fourth wall that happened was perfect and at just the right moments there were a few times that the line was said and ben and i were like cackling and i'm not sure 
that anyone else in the theater thought it was nearly as funny as we did, but there were like maybe two or three times that we were like almost shocked by like how funny that line was and how relevant it was and how hard it hit. Um, Yeah, it was just, it was very, very enjoyable. At times, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. At other times, it hit on other notes that I didn't really expect. And I think the, you know, the flip-floppy of the, the, the power dynamics being changed between Barbie Land and the real world just made it silly and fun to watch. And, um, yeah, I really want to watch it again to kind of mull that over a little bit more. But... I think that it's just going to be a new classic. I think so too. Yeah. Which is great. Uh, it's hilarious. Just, just so funny. It's uh, really, I, I said this in our next episode, but really blown away at how many of the jokes hit. Yeah. Uh, it's impossible to hit on like every single one, but they're pretty darn close. Uh-huh. Um, they, they were very funny. Uh, and, and, like you said, just striking and snarky, but but also heartfelt is a very hard thing to pull off, and they did all of that uh, under. I, I'm not sure any other director could have pulled this off so gracefully. Yeah, I I love Greta Gerwig, and <coughs> um, and this was just so well done. I'm I'm not sure. There's a lot of things about this movie that. Like, if it was someone else, I'm not sure it would yeah. have worked. Yeah. Uh, and they, like you said, they just kind of nailed it all the way through. Um, both both movies aren't without fault, I don't think. Yeah. But um, but they uh, they pulled it off. Like, they're, they're so much fun. Uh, this one is especially a blast. And, and uh, yeah, I... I will come back to this many times. Um, yeah, it's great. So good. All right. So, if you don't want either movie spoiled, maybe just turn this off now. Um, or, uh, or if you've only seen one, hopefully I put it in the show notes. We'll see. But we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna. Shelby, Shelby's gonna sing a three-second doodle, and then we're gonna jump into uh, spoiler territory. Here we go. Spoilies, we're gonna have some spoilies. Thank you. On You're the so spot. welcome. You're so Look welcome. at you. <laughs> Look at you. Do you want to keep this order we're going in? Or yeah, do you wanna... yeah, that's good. So Oppenheimer? Yeah, Oppenheimer. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's right. I think the biggest thing I've taken away from the movie is like the sound design oh. and the visuals. When you're inside of uh, the movie, switches between being inside of a bomb, like the the more abstract seconds of the movie, switches between being inside of a bomb, being inside of like the sky or stars at mm-hmm. times, and then being inside of Oppenheimer's mind. It seems, and it's all abstract and looks so stunning and horrifying. And then, like like I said, like I was drawn in when the the when the seats in the theater oh, shook. Yeah. And it's 
I don't know if it was the same for you, but like it's one of the loudest movies so I've ever been loud. in. Loud, yeah. <laughs> and they know when like the seats will shake because it's loud at other times. Uh, like the the at one point the the violins really swell and it's just gorgeous, um, but but they know like when to make your your body really feel it. Like you can feel the vibration mm-hmm. and it is shocking and and so cool but awful yeah. <laughs> um yeah it, it's just like oh this is why i go to the movies this is it uh and yeah i was i was really impressed by that the mm-hmm. the whole score is um fantastic how they at one point it sounded like radiation like it yeah. it sounded like a radioactive something in Crackling. the score but mm-hmm. but it was inside of like music and it was just fascinating. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if we should jump into this now, but I think that the climactic scene in the movie is when he, when uh, Oppenheimer is giving his speech after the bomb has been dropped in uh, on on Japan, and um, and the sound design in that scene is uh, haunting. They. The crowd is cheering, standing ovation, they're stomping, um, and it's scary a little yeah. bit. And and then you can hear the screaming, like, not not the cheering, the screaming um, inside of the cheering. And it is yeah. uh, so well done. Um, and and so also, amazing. within that scene, and you've seen it twice, so my memory on this might be a little fuzzy, so correct me if I am wrong. But within that scene, there's also moments of, like, where you're getting the visual of all the people cheering, but it's, like, it's not dead silent. There is that kind of crackle of, like, the radio, but yeah. otherwise it's completely silent. Yep. And yeah, so they, you're getting they cut the, back and forth. Yeah, so you're getting that shock of, like, the influx and the tidal wave of noise and then it cuts and then it's the crackle and then that's when the visuals start to transition as well from these like mirrored moments of joy and terror and so yeah this the sound their use of silence in that was just extraordinary it was so effective yeah uh, yeah I I, be, I I guess there's that 15 minute maybe 20 minute section where they go from the the test bomb at trinity is what they called the the test and then from that i don't know like the night before that into that that scene in the gymnasium is like oh my gosh for i i think um I mean the peop- the part of the reason people love inception or interstellar but but Inception comes to mind the most when you think of other Nolan films is like you don't know what happened, uh, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know you get to the end and you still don't know what happened. Um, this movie you know the whole way, and by uh, an hour and a half in, I was so like, oh my gosh, I can't, I am I am on the edge of my seat and I know exactly yeah. what's going to happen, but uh-huh. I am fascinated i am blown away that yeah it it was when when the test bomb finally drops 
and then you get again the silence followed by i don't know 30 seconds later the the boom oh my gosh yeah it was so it was good. amazing um the the whole first two hours leads to those 20 minutes and it is this maybe two of my favorite hours of in like in a movie theater yeah. i've ever experienced it's pretty incredible when you can build that level of suspense when exactly. people know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Truly amazing. Mm. And I think too the 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 layered storytelling with uh with Strauss. Yeah. Played by and, Robert Downey Jr. who will also win his Oscar yeah. by the way. <laughs> In his uh, his cabinet confirmation hearing, while we also see the rise of Dr. Oppenheimer and um, and Trinity and every, I think that. And then there's the other thread too, like uh, where he's getting deposed in in the the room. So yes. they have yes. three threads going at at the same time. And I think you I think you really need all three. I think it would be an mm-hmm. entirely different movie without all three. Because you you yeah. could make a movie that's just Oppenheimer on his way, developing the atom bomb, and then the bombing, and then what happens to him afterwards, and like that. I think most directors would, a, would. Yeah. 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 But taking on the political monster of what happened to him afterwards... It was it was a strong choice, and it could have gone really poorly, but I think it I think it really really paid off. I think, yeah, I think that that triple layered, um, yeah, storytelling was 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 so good because I think at the end of the day, what what strikes me most about this movie was. How do you go on after making the atom, the atom bomb? Like, how do you justify that? How do you keep living? How do you, how do you continue on in the world? And I think for me, that's what that whole section of the movie was about. And I think there was, you know, there was truth in, in what Strauss said about he needed to be punished so that way the world would forgive him. Because I think what we see at the end is that he kind of admits to it. And I think, to, to much lesser degrees, I think this is such a human thing. We, we go through life, we make choices. They're not always the right choices, but then we have, to, we have to justify our actions. And I think there's so many things in our world right now that feel really pivotal. Whether it's AI, whether it's... Uh, you know, like climate change and the global crisis that is that, whether it was COVID, whether it was whatever, it feels like there's all of these really pivotal, monumental decisions being made and discoveries being made that will change humanity and our planet for forever. And I think we're asking questions like, what does the future look like if we do this? And can we forgive ourselves? And what is the cost? So that really feels very timely for me. I don't know. 
I don't know if that's fair or not, but that's that's probably one of my biggest takeaways from the movie. Agreed. Uh, I mean, for being a biopic, which are very hit and miss, I think. Yeah. Uh, this this was very personal, not only to uh, Nolan, which it's clear he's he's working through some things in this movie. Uh, kind of this, uh, you can you can see it in a lot of his movies, but kind of this tortured artist. Uh, but but it does address these, and, and I think we all kind of knew maybe going in like it's gonna talk about like, what is what is this doing to our world and why are we doing this and um, and it, and it does kind of uh, the, there's some uh, kind of fantasy shots at the end of of just warheads going through the sky and. And it's an interesting way to end it, but but it does make you uh, emote. It does make you like wonder where we're all headed. Like what what can we do? And and it's certainly I think what he's going for. Um, yeah, it, it it for being a biopic about um, something that happened in the forties and fifties. It it is certainly timely and impersonal. Uh, yeah really well done like that what did you think of the use of black and white for one timeline versus color i thought it uh, i will say that i don't like black and white for the most part um this it worked really well i thought uh because the all three timelines had a different color great to them um even the i, I mean the two other timelines are both in color, but they look very different. Uh, whether that's because of the setting, uh, really, I think it's because it actually has a different color mm. grade or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I thought that was a great choice. Um, the black and white isn't... Uh, I don't know how to say this. It doesn't feel like over the top to me. It feels mm. very... It, it feels kind of uh, that you see some black and white stuff and it's like very contrasting which makes sense black and white but this one felt more grayish to me right. felt felt just speaking from a color palette standpoint mm-hmm. nothing else it just felt very easy on the eyes compared mm-hmm. to some other black and white that I've seen so it, right. I thought it worked really mm-hmm. well and it, it was interesting that the um, most recent yes. storyline is in black and white yes uh, i don't know what that's trying to say really i i haven't figured that one out but um but i did in i i did like it and, and i thought it was a i think you could get a little bit lost if the mm. the um appointment hearing which features strauss uh, you could get a little bit lost in that and the deposition because they do feel somewhat similar. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad they were different. How about you? I have a theory. Because okay. I had that thought as well. Like it's interesting that the most recent timeline is the one in black and white. But I think the color tells us who the main character is. Yeah. And while there are lots of main lead characters. Like and while Strauss plays a very, very, very important role. 
I think it really highlights, you know, when, when we see Oppenheimer at the start, he is kind of fresh and wild and young with ideas that he doesn't know what to do with. And that's when we see the most vivid and the most colorful scenes. So if the older stuff was in black and white, we would miss out on all of that. So I think agreed. I think the color is actually a a device to have us emotionally connect to Oppenheimer and go, yeah. Wow, what a mind. Wow, this is incredible. Wow, we want to dream about the stars like he does. And even though he is all of the things that they say he is in the movie, he's arrogant, he's a womanizer, he's you know, he's all of these things, you do get attached to him. And you do, I think you admire him for his brilliance and the things that he envisions that no one else does. And I think that actually you wouldn't feel that way without the color. Agreed. Hmm. Uh, to theorize off here, theorizing. <laughs> um, well, one, I, you just spend more time in that story. Yeah. So it makes sense. It does. Just from a practical standpoint. But also the... The scene or the storyline that's in black and white feels very just matter of fact. Like this is what happened, which I mean, it's black and white. Uh, So uh, maybe maybe there's something to that. Like this is a courtroom scene and Mm -hmm. this is what happened. It's public record. Uh, It it feels like maybe there's a little something to that. I don't know, Mm. but. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Nolan is fascinated by different time lines in his movies. I mean, it happens what? almost what all impression? of them. Um, <laughs> I thought this was the most effective. Maybe, I mean, it's not as ambitious as some, but it this one worked for me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's because of the color or... Or just because of the storytelling, I'm I'm not sure, but yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think of the third hour of the movie, after after that climactic moment that we talked about? It's it's essentially the the movie is a biopic and just a, edited so quickly and and snappy and. It is incredible. And then yeah. the third hour intentionally, I mean, we lose one of the threads. It's it's over. Yeah. Um, and so it, it intentionally slows down quite a bit and essentially becomes a courtroom drama. Yeah, essentially. And a political playground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see how that wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea. I can also see how, like... I think about how my dad would really enjoy consuming this story, but he would hate this movie. <laughs> so I, I, I get that. I think it, it, the last hour, do we have in the deposition, that's when the main prosecutor like goes at him, right? He like, yeah. He's vicious. So we have that yeah, that's moment. in the last, like, half hour. Yeah. We have that moment. We have the moment when in the 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 hearing, uh, when... Rami Malek. 
Yeah, when he yeah. tells the truth and Oppenheimer's redeemed. And then we have the moment, the moment when Strauss l- just loses it in his office. Right. And we also have the um, Oppenheimer's wife. Um, yes. Gives her deposition. Yes. Or gives her... Uh, and that's in there, too. And then that was the finale. Like too. one of my favorite moments. <laughs> um, it's a very good speech. Emily Blunt did incredible. So I think that building... Up to this part of the movie, there's a lot of, like, physical, literal explosions. And then we get to this part where all of these people are just exploding. And then you have the scene with Einstein, when it's finally revealed what was said that day in the park. And while that isn't an explosion of any kind, man, it, it hits um, it does. So I think I think we kind of need that hour. I think after, you know, after they they drop the atomic bomb, I think it would be too easy to end the story there. Because yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's riveting. It's incredible. Yeah, but but yeah. I I think it would be too easy to show Oppenheimer with the horror and the guilt and you walk away and you go, wow, what a terrible thing they all did. And then you walk away and it's done and it feels simple and it's not simple. So I think we really need that last hour. We need things to be convoluted. We need things to be put back into perspective for us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I loved it. Um, I I get why people didn't. It's mm. a bit slow, um, especially the third hour of a movie. It is, <laughs> yeah. it is um, at times a little ruthlessly talky um, uh, in that third hour. And that that does make it feel a bit long. But uh, but I love a courtroom drama anyway. <laughs> and, yeah. and it gets into that in... No, I, I thought I thought it was great. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed the ending. Yeah. Uh, do you have any issues with the movie, or do you want me to just jump into mine? <laughs> um, I I think yeah. You jump to yours. You jump to yours. Uh, Christopher Nolan has a problem. It's maybe his only fault as a director. I like maybe love most of his movies uh i don't think he's written a well-rounded woman character in any of the 11 (laughs) like not not a single one yeah and like if catwoman is maybe the best one uh what's going on my guy Uh like are you okay did something happen to you (laughs) um we mentioned the emily blunt's best scene also, like, one of her only scenes and mm-hmm. one of the only things she gets to do in the whole movie. Yep. Uh, to to a degree, like, I'm... I get it. Like, guys make movies about what they understand the most, and that's usually themselves. Uh-huh. And they're trying to figure that out. I get it. We can talk about this the 
absolute opposite way when we talk about Barbie. Um, but also, like, at some point, you gotta just throw a, throw us a bone and know, let us know that you know how to write an actual well-rounded woman character, please. Because this movie did not give us one. No. Not even close. <laughs> no, uh-uh. I love the Emily Blunt moment at the end. Like, oh, yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. That, but, but, uh, but that character is rough. And, and so is the Florence Pugh character. They are sharp and dull all at the same time. And I don't yeah. mean dull as in dumb. I mean dull as in, like, like completely, like, defenseless. Yeah, just give right. us like one or two more scenes of how smart this woman is, which this Emily Blunt's character is clearly very smart. Clearly. Uh, she was a biologist. We get mention of that. But but like there's nothing else. I will say the one scene that I was like, hey, uh, when they're in Los Alamos and he's hired on that one woman chemist and he walks in that one day and she's like i'm not quitting the project and they're like but your reproductive organs and she's like yours are more exposed like what's the pro i really love that it was like 25 seconds and i i and just really appreciate it and then she's yeah, yeah, no, pushed out yeah um i did love that moment but yeah sure. otherwise um it's it's not really that there's like not it's not that the movies I, I'm trying to be careful on how I say this it's not that the movies are in need of more characters no no it's that none of them are women I guess it's, <laughs> yes. and and I get it in this aspect a lot more than I do in like Interstellar or Inception when that's that's fiction um yes like uh-huh. yeah that's not in, in the 19 in 1940s and 50s yeah we get it no women didn't get a chance to do the things that they should have uh, yeah. i'm not sure that's at all what this movie is about but um but yeah i get it here more than i do in others i was just kind of confounded that emily blunt maybe florence Pugh too who is just uh a tough character to work around in this movie. Um, yeah. But just give Emily Blunt like another scene or two and cut one science yeah. scene maybe. <laughs> and also, and also like it is, it's the balance because at the beginning, Emily Blunt's character is desperate to jump from one man to another. And then almost straight away we go to, oh, she has postpartum depression and she's an alcoholic. And then yeah. we go to, oh, she's angry and she's bitter. And then we jump to, oh, she's sitting in a room full of men and she's the only one who actually sees what's happening. <laughs> she's not being listened to. So it's very, again, it's all very sharp angles. Um, yeah. You know, we see that he's having affairs and he's not being faithful and yet her character is still written in a way that makes her seem angry and bitter and so there's a there's not quite a balance in that it's not quite right yeah that all that said like i don't know if i'd have this critique if i hadn't seen nolan's other, like eight or 
Mm. I guess he has ten other movies, but I'm I think I've seen eight or nine of them. I, right. uh, I'm not sure I'd think about this if I hadn't seen mm. those and like oh there's there's not a single good woman character in any of these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's my issue with the movie as a whole. Yeah. Florence Pugh is well, she's she's naked half the time, so I'm gonna be careful what I say here too. Um kind of effective, I think. Um but I'm not quite again, not well rounded, not not no. <laughs> jokes aside there. So sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um not like you don't get a grasp of that character no. at all. And She's and, very underutilized as a character. Yeah. 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 Which okay. A so. part of it is I get the time constraint, right? Like in a way, her character is what pushes him into the arms of his wife. Yeah. And then there's the effect that her suicide had on him. And that kind of leads into the other, you know, infidelity issues that they had in their marriage. But I really felt, yeah, I really felt like, yeah, she was underutilized. Like, I kept wanting there to be more. And then all of a sudden, her character was dead. And it was like, oh, okay. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah her, her character could have been really fascinating. The whole thing about how she loved him, but she, don't stop bringing me flowers. Like, <laughs> there was a lot there. And I get that timing is an issue. But, um, yeah, it kind of just left you feeling like, uh, instead of, right. like, it really added a lot to the movie. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The scene where she's, um, well, it's a it's a fantasy scene, sort of, where she, when her and Oppenheimer are having sex in the deposition room, while Emily Blunt looks honest. Whew, it's that is woof. That that is um, uh, that's tough and yeah. probably like one of the more effective scenes in the whole movie. Um, and I think he's getting exactly the reaction he wants, but man, it's tough for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's not a scene you quickly forget. <laughs> no, it's just, I, wow. Yeah. Um, well, the critiques aside, like I think this is maybe my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Hmm, uh, yeah. I really like Dunkirk, hmm. which does a very, uh, I like, I think this is kind of the successor or uh, I don't know, whatever order you want to put it. But the, the timing, the the timelines are very similar to me. It, it feels very like this idea led to another idea. Um, and yeah, I, but, but no, I, I love this and I thought it was absolutely incredible it will be one of my favorite movies of the last five years so yeah 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 i think it was truly something incredible and kind of like something new yeah which is pretty extraordinary yep and both of these movies for a while right both of these movies feel new yeah. Uh, which is kind of incredible considering the source material but <laughs> yeah but yeah it's yeah. uh it's really amazing. So, yeah. yeah any other any other thoughts before Barbie? <sighs> I'm sure there's like a gazillion more, but I think I'm content to leave it there. 
Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Um, we have the rest of the Tributumi episodes to add in more thoughts. Yeah. Just uh, 1,037 more of them. <laughs> All right. Uh, Barbie. Barbie. Ooh, boy. Um, how fun. Um, <laughs> also, incredibly heartfelt. Yeah. I, I think I mentioned this next episode again, but I love Greta Gerwig. She's one of the best directors around right now. And... Um, love Little Women, love Lady Bird, uh, Francis Ha, and this one is a different step, but still felt uniquely her mm. to me, and, and that was that was a treat. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the first twenty minutes of this movie are amazing. <laughs> so so good. Uh, we're in Barbie Land the whole time. Um, there's a song narrating, but also Helen Mirren narrating and Margot Robbie is flawless and just the jokes are so good. Mm -hmm. And then we get this big dance sequence and then Margot Robbie's all of a sudden like, you guys ever think about death? And it's in the trailer (laughs) and it's still hilarious. Like, you know, it's coming. Oh, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. And then they followed that up by the song again, but the lyrics have changed. And yeah, I, I, the first 20 minutes <laughs> and are it's Lizzo, so good. And it was just, just so on point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm really impressed by how, how Ryan Gosling could lean into a character that like where he's being made fun of. I'm really oh, yeah. impressed by that. Did you not like Ryan Gosling before this? I I like him. I love Ryan Gosling. But like in a La La Land kind of a way. Hmm. Like I've never really been like a... I've never been in love with Ryan Gosling like other people have. Like he's good. I enjoy him. But I just did not see him in this character at all. And I just was so impressed. Did you ever see... See in the other guy? Not the other guys. Is that what it's called? Uh, With Russell Crowe? I don't think so. You would probably like it. It's it's kind of a action movie, but it's maybe the most comedy he's done. I'm okay. I'm looking through his filmography right now, and it's pretty sarcastic. Okay. So it kind of it. I mean, they're nothing alike. The movies yeah, are nothing yeah. alike, but it's probably the funniest he's been, other than other than this, and he's. So funny. <laughs> he's, he's so good. The facial so expressions funny. alone are so yeah. good. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he, he nails it. And like from from the very beginning. So yeah. good. Yeah. And I think I think the narration from the very beginning and the oh, The opening scene, too. Oh, my gosh. When the, <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, I loved it. Oh, everything is so good. Um. And just the, oh, the ex- nice guys, not the other guys. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. The nice guys. And the nice guys. And just the explanation of like Barbie Land, like the difference between Barbie Land and the real world. Because I think in this movie, there's like so many people are are looking at why would you make a movie about Barbie? Because it can be really problematic. 
And in the introduction, I really feel like they kind of just ticked a bunch of boxes and just told the story in a way that, like, actually was like, okay, no, I'm invested. Like, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for this. You know, this sense of, like, Barbie was meant to empower all of the little girls. And Barbie, they thought they fixed everything. And they thought that the real world was like Barbie land and, like, women could do anything. And the contrast of, like... Like, the, the strong, like, femininity and just booting out all of the Kens at the end of the night and being like, no, I don't want you here. This is my house and it's my shit and I paid for it. Bye! And even later on where they're like, where do the Kens live? And they're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, anywhere but here, bitches. Um, I just thought it was done in, in, a, in a really good way. That kind of acknowledged, like, hey, Barbie has been problematic because... Barbie, as a person, does not work. It does not make sense. Margot Robbie is truly the closest you can come to being Barbie. But here's here's the intention behind it. Here's the good behind it. And in this world that we're creating, they think that they've empowered all women and that everything is perfect. And in that kind of naivete, I think the story really blossoms. So I thought that they managed that really well. They did. Um... I, I guess you, I guess that kind of forgives some of like mm. the, the Barbie commercial in it. Um, um, yeah. Like, like there's some blatant like, oh, this is a Barbie movie. Like, um, but it works because it is so self-aware. Um, uh, uh, the big picture, oh, my favorite movie podcast talked about air which was a 2023 movie and the issues they had with that being like a nike commercial compared to this being a barbie commercial and they they also pointed to like air is not self-aware like it is just a guy a white guy selling michael jordan on being a part of his company this this clearly knows like the issues and talks through them in a funny but also like, smart way. And at um, one point, there actually is a, a satirical Barbie commercial in yes, the middle of the movie. Which is very funny. Yeah, very Great stuff. funny. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, no, I, I think they I think they waded through the waters pretty yeah. well there. And I think um, I think it's the, the fact that they did nostalgia Barbie wasn't just like, oh, hey, you're going to bring your kid and she's going to want all of these new Barbie things. It was like, no, these are the Barbies that you grew up playing with. These are the things that, you know, and, and I think America Ferreira, when she shows up in Barbie land, she goes, I had the treehouse. I saved up all my allowance for it. And so I do think that that does give it a level of like, like you as a 30, 35, 40 year old viewer, like these are your toys. Like these are the vintage things that you played. So it is the nostalgia. And so I think that also makes it forgiving as well. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, the America, America Ferreira, right? I'm yeah. saying that right. Yeah. Um, that character is extremely important yeah. um, for the reason you just pointed out. And there's even a joke about it, so that Margot Robbie is not white savior Barbie. Um, <laughs> yes, it's an incredible joke. Yes, and then, and then, thank God she, I mean, truly, like it's a really good idea that you had someone who was not white pointing out all the feminist yes. um, <coughs> empowerment moments. Uh, that's that's 
just smart. That's really important. And something that the film really could have got entrapped in because, uh, like we said, Margot Robbie is the perfect Barbie. Yep. yep. Um, and you could have given her everything, but instead you give her kind of an introspective character um, who is brilliant and then and then gave America Ferrer all the important lines or speeches. And I thought that was expertly done. And yeah. again, something that not every filmmaker would have thought of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really good. Really good. Uh, there's one. There, there's a part of this movie that doesn't quite work for me. Hmm. And I think it's just all the Mattel stuff. Um, yeah. It, this, yeah. That felt more over the top than even like Barbie Land did. Yes, I don't mind Will Ferrell at the end, and I, and it's not Will Ferrell at all. I think it's the character. I love Will Ferrell, and he he's doing his thing, and and most of the jokes are pretty funny. I think it's just in the office, like yeah. the, I kind of lose it for the five or ten minutes in there. The choreography when there's like the little chase scene is fun, but again, very over the top. Yeah, it, and a little dumb. It, it's dumb for sure, which would fit in in maybe not the real world. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure. I haven't quite figured that part because out. Because the office space was like this weird in-between where like magic weird shit was happening, right. but it still was yeah. in the real world. Yeah, I was I was a little thrown off by that. A little taken out of the whole thing, yeah. I guess. But I mean to the movie's credit, that lasts for ten minutes. Yeah. And then and the other real world scenes were uh, amazing, yeah. <laughs> honestly. So, and I did um, enjoy the yeah. scene when she's sitting down at the kitchen table, as weird as it yeah. was. That was no, a nice moment. Um, so so beautiful. But I, before that, weird. The bus, yeah, in the office. But before the office, the bus stop scene is maybe my favorite part of the whole movie. Oh yeah, that was lovely. Um. um Margot Robbie sits down with this old lady and and Margot or Barbie looks around and like there's a couple fighting and then there's two guys laughing and then she's doing all of them with all of these emotions with them. And it's so well acted and so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah, it's so charming. The um the woman at the bus stop, the the person playing that character is the costume designer, who is one of the cool. best costume designers of all time. Um, multiple Academy Award winner and, and did all the costumes for this movie. So a really cool touch there. And, and That's very that, cool. that lady has a great line in there. I think Margot <laughs> Robbie tells her she's so beautiful. And, and I think she says, I know it. I know. And yeah, it's... It's amazing. So um, good. Wonderful. But yeah. um, going back to The Office, one of the funniest, one of the, I think it was the first cackling line Um, when they're sitting at the board table and she goes, oh, well, where's your, you know, your CEO? I want to meet her. And then she discovers there's no one in there. And right. she goes, oh, where are there? Are there any women that work there? And what's his face? He's, um, he's one of the guys from Sex Education that made it into the movie. And right. he, he's, like, ducking down below the table because he, he literally does not have a chair. He doesn't have a seat at the table. 
And he goes, I'm powerless in a world full of men. I'm like a woman. <laughs> and we just <laughs> lost it. And I don't, I don't know if we didn't hear anyone else laughing because we were laughing so hard or if like no one else thought it was as funny as we did, but I thought it was so hilarious. <laughs> I think my one problem with casting Will Ferrell was that this character actually reminded me a lot of his character in the Lego movie. Yep. Because he's, I this, mean, it, it is sort of the Lego movie. He, it is sort of the Lego movie <laughs> yeah. and he's the CEO, like bad guy. So, and while he's not... Is he a bad guy? He's not, I'm so confused. He's not strictly a bad guy, but I'm not sure he is at all. I was very confused by I the mean, end. Like, what is that? He's, yeah. he's not... Okay, if okay, if we're looking in the framework of society and supporting women, then he's not really a good guy. You're right. But, but we can't really call him a bad guy in our society because he hasn't hurt anyone. But he also, like, has a few lines where it's like, oh, he's actually thinking the right thing. I don't know. By I, the end. Very... By the end. No, like, outside of the office, roller skating. He has one of his lines like, no, damn it, kids don't matter. I've been in this. If if I cared about money the whole time, then I would have made kids more important. Right, like, okay. He, he says things like this throughout that's true. The whole movie, and I'm so confused by the whole thing. Where where Oppenheimer needed the three threads? <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I need this third yeah. thing going on. <clears throat> well, okay, then maybe his character is actually really important. Because maybe he's a little bit more of the everyman character than like yeah, anyone wants maybe. to admit, right? Because he doesn't he doesn't really hate women, but he also doesn't work with any of them. Yeah, which yeah, is his fair. his choice. Uh huh. You know, um, I think I think that's a big conversation about the the dynamic of power because you have you have Ken who went into the real world and brought back the patriarchy and wanted to change everything <laughs> and horses <laughs> and horses. <laughs> um, but then you have Will Ferrell's character that lives in the patriarchy and. While maybe he doesn't hate women, he is still completely benefiting from it, and he's not doing anything to change it, even though he's yeah. in the position. He wants to put Barbie back in the box. Uh, yes. Yeah. See, I just think the metaphor gets a bit confused in there. It does. It does. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you consider that the last Barbie that came out tried to go surfing with a child. It's like, well, maybe right. we should put Barbie back in the box. She doesn't yes. understand drowning. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but I yes. do think, I think it's a character that is, is actually a lot more of a normal person. Yeah. The, I Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it should have gone with like a... a an actor who played it a little more straight. I'm not sure. Mm. It was, yeah. Uh, and again, it's like maybe ten minutes of the movie that I'm having taking mm. issue with. Maybe, um, yeah. because otherwise I think it's just a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just a little strange to me. But I I do I think I agree with everything you're pointing out. So. Right. I can I say I loved at the end. You know, when all of the office guys show up and, you know, they have the whole, you know, sure. conclusion thing. 
Um, I thought, like, oh, this is leading to the part when, like, America Ferrera, like, she gets a promotion and she's going to be, like, boss lady. And in the end, she just has... She just has a really good idea, and they go, yeah. "Oh, actually, this is a really good idea." I kind of love that they didn't make her boss lady. I love that it good wasn't stuff. like you get a promotion because we've learned about feminism. Like, yeah, give the right. girl a promotion. I'm all for that. But that would have been the obvious and easy road to take Again. on that storyline. And I thought it was really good that they didn't. Yep. Again, with a different director. Like this is yeah. a disaster and over the top and yeah, yeah. Uh, but but no, it's handled so well. Also, the uh, moment when Will Ferrell is like, "You can call me mother," and she's like, "No, thank you. I'm not going to." <laughs> very, do that. Good, very good. That was funny. <coughs> that was very funny. Uh, the hilarious use of songs in this movie was mm-hmm. um, amazing. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Indigo Girls playing uh, closer to fine. Whenever, which is a great like meta commentary, just in its own right, and then the kin singing. Uh, I don't remember the name of the song, but that that one, um, uh, oh, Rob what? Thomas, whatever band he's in. Um, yeah, I'll have the song in a minute. But the Ryan Gosling impression of Rob Thomas is the funniest. <laughs> like, I laughed. That's the hardest I laughed, the whole movie. And Melissa's like, what is? what are you laughing at? And <laughs> and I don't so think... Oh, good. Matchbox 20. There we go. There we go. Uh, the we match... Go. But, um, yeah, it, it was so funny. So good. Um, and the songs were perfect, like yeah. choices. Yeah, they really yeah. were. Oh, uh, basically, by the time they're back to Barbie Land, or uh, the the film takes off, like it's it reaches new peaks. Um, yeah, it's so it's so good. Uh, it's Kate so good. Kate McKinnon, so funny. Oh um, my gosh, so funny! Perfect again, perfect yep. casting. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's. It's really, really, really good. Could any, could any other current actress play Barbie? <sighs> I I was trying to think today, like you have the more famous actresses right now, like Zendaya. Um, I don't think she probably could have for a variety of reasons. Really, mm. she does not have the like nineteen thirties movie star no. feature that that margot robbie has no. i mean she's amazing but but she does not have that same i mean she's way too sarcastic I think. yeah yeah um, um i think 20 years ago uh julie roberts yep yep that's a good yeah call. um but maybe reese witherspoon because it's sort of legally blonde yeah but yeah. not right now that, no. that, again, that's like 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but this is, I love Margot Robbie. And I mean, you're, you're the biggest, uh, what's, the, what's the Birds of Prey? Was that the movie? <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Yeah. You're the biggest Birds of Prey fan I know. Maybe the only I one. love Margot Robbie and. <laughs> sure um, uh, I love Margot Robbie and Babylon and Wolf of Wall Street and I mean she's she's wonderful but this is probably my favorite thing she performance she's given 
for sure. The physicality of it was just next level. So Even good. the way that she would sit in her body posture and, like, the shape of her hands. And, I mean, like, and, and then even, like, the sound editing when she would move and just, just the yeah. faintest little, like, plastic. So <laughs> I mean, it was just... It was just incredible. But, um, yeah, her charisma and her personality and her sparkle and all of those things are just very, very Barbie-esque. But then in those moments when she's, like, discovering feelings and when she's having this existential crisis and she's she's learning what being a human means, there is just so much depth in her feeling there that it was just so convincing. It was very very genuine for being barbie it was like it was incredibly nuanced yeah like the the performance um because again i think she could have been more flamboyant and outgoing and she is at times like the opening is is absurd and so fun she could have been more um, like the barbie in toy story right Hi, 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 like really annoying. And she kind of was for a moment. And then, and then it's over and and yeah, it turns into a introspective character who's going through an existential (laughs) crisis and trying to figure it all out. And it's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think it's, I think it really speaks well of the creators, you know, Greta, the writer, I, the whole the whole production when you can say something that has been thought and expressed and resonates so well with so many people and it still hits and it doesn't feel cheesy or corny and it doesn't feel like they're monopolizing on a trend happening just for the sake of making money for a movie like when America Ferrera has her moment where she's like you have to be thin, but you have to be healthy and you have to be a mom, but you have to not talk about your kids and you have to all of the contradictions of like what society expects from a woman like that. That's floated around the Internet. That's like that's a very common discourse that you see and you read and you hear and that has been talked about in the last five years, especially. But for them to take it and say essentially all of the same things, but to say it in a context of Barbie land that still makes sense. That still feels genuine. That still feels very in the moment and fresh and new and a reinvigorated sense of that instead of them just being like, we're going to, we're going to make a move in this moment because it's going to sell tickets and it's going to sell Barbie sweatshirts. I I think that's just really telling that the story, the storytelling is so good. I agree. Hmm. Uh, Kind of going off of that, I think this could have been a very funny, fun, feminist romp, but three scenes make it something better, something something I truly loved. And like, I would have been fine with the other movie. It would have been great. Yeah. But the bus stop scene yeah. uh, mixed with the the scene with Ruth and the... And the Mattel office. I, I think those kind of flow right into each mm-hmm. other. Uh, Barbie apologizing to Ken, which is not needed. Oh. Like that, that is I not needed th- in I the movie. I actually think it was though. 
I think it was. Hey, hear me out. Hear me okay, out. Okay. Okay. It is not needed in the feminist romp right, okay, comedy yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. describing. Yeah, yeah. It was needed in this movie for it to become yeah. so much more well thought out and yeah. so so thoughtful. Yeah. Because um, you you could have made a, a fun, not quite as thoughtful movie that would have been arguably just as successful. Yeah. But they didn't. They um, and and her apologizing to him, mm. which leads to a lot of great comedy. <laughs> but like in the moment is is yeah. just lovely. Like there it's, were there were simpler ways to deal with Ken. Yes. You could put Ken back in the box. Like, there's lots of ways that they could have dealt with Ken at the end of it. Right. And he doesn't necessarily deserve an apology. Um, but but Margot Robbie's character has become thoughtful and yeah. realizes what what was, what was she did wrong, I guess. Yeah. And then I think the ending, uh, well, not the very, very ending, which provides maybe the best joke in the whole movie, but the... <laughs> The seconds right before that is strange and yeah. exactly kind of what I thought we'd get at the end yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Um, and sad, but also lovely and mm. heartwarming. And well, it's, it's a very Pinocchio moment. Yeah. I don't like Pinocchio, so yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, yes, you're right. In essence. It is Pinocchio moment. In essence. No, you're right. But also, yeah, I, I thought the, I, th- I thought putting Barbie in the real world was interesting, but also just the, the visuals in that scene, yeah. the, the storytelling, the, the colors in the background where it's, and sort of this God figure, um, really, like, the, again, Someone else wouldn't have done that, yeah. and, and this is beautiful and and reminds me of my favorite parts of Lady Bird or or of Little Woman. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I love that. I th- it was probably my favorite part of the mm-hmm. movie outside of the bus stop scene. So. Yeah, I love that the movie spent so much time in Barbie Land because I anticipated oh, yeah. that we'd get kind of a beginning and an end, but most of the movie would happen in the real world. And it didn't. No. And that was... And Barbie Land was the best part by far. And I think they recognize, like, we spent enough time in the real world. Let's let's really spend the movie where we want to be, which is Barbie Land. And I, yeah. I loved that choice. And they could have gone for some cheap thrills and some cheap humor, you know, kind of continuing Barbie getting into, you know, conundrums and trouble and mischief in the real world un- unknowingly. But I really love... That it was like, no, we got the point. And then when they went back to Barbie land. I really, really loved that. That was a great choice. And I love, okay. too, the scenes um, when she's with Ruth. And it's very godlike, you know. And then also the dance scenes with the Kens. Um, when it's, ve- it's very, like, old school Hollywood. You know, it makes me think of some of the scenes in... Um, and singing in the rain, you know, when they cut yeah. to a dance sequence and it's just in this studio where it's just floors and walls and color and lighting. And so I loved that it was glitz and glam of old school Hollywood without it being a movie about Hollywood. Yeah, mm. totally. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. Yeah. Uh, the production design, the costuming, 
just next level. Yeah. Really in both of these movies, but but especially in Barbie. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Any other thoughts? <sighs> is there one you liked more than the other? I mean, one is easier to watch more than the yes. other. Yes. <laughs> Significantly easier. Yeah. I think in the end, I think I liked Oppenheimer more, but but they're so different that it's like... They are. They really are. You know, it's like comparing fruit like they're just so it's apples and oranges surprisingly similar but very very different yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um i i think well no i do prefer oppenheimer as well this is probably my least favorite greta gerwig movie which should probably tell you all you need to know about her um but but yeah i mean just what a fun what a fun movie, Incredible. and then what a, what a, just, oh boy, movie. Like, <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great day at the movie theater. What, what an experience. What yeah. an experience. So fun. Do you think uh, that, um, yeah, that the children of tomorrow will be more likely to know what COVID is or what Barbenheimer is? Uh, COVID. How, 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 how old are we talking? Like, how old are they now? Um, Like, if they're, like, like I don't know, like, five now. Uh, yeah, probably COVID still. <laughs> I just really but, wanted you to say Barbenheimer just because it would be ridiculous. But, yeah, probably. But to speak to the cultural significance... Barbie is the biggest movie in the world yeah. and the biggest movie of the year. It made $155 million just in North America this weekend and made three over $300 million worldwide. $337 million worldwide. There we go. Meanwhile, Oppenheimer made $80.5 million in North America, um, which would put it in like the top six or seven in the for the year. It, it was a historic week and... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Barbie made 182 million worldwide. Oppenheimer made 93.7, and that totaled the 330 figure I talked about. Right, um, right. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Like uh, one of the most historic weekends in movie history. And I shouldn't bury this at the end of this podcast, but it's a shame it comes during a writers and actors strike. Um, where billionaires will not pay the artists their money. So, um, yeah, Uh, hopefully that gets resolved soon. One more reason to stay down with the patriarchy. Exactly. And uh, come on, Barbie, let's go party. Um, (laughs) All right. We will talk to you all very soon. And thank you for listening. To Thanks, our everybody. movie podcast. Thank you, Shelby. <laughs> a movie podcast in July. Film oh it my to gosh. Uh huh. <laughs> so good. So it's good. It's been a wonderful uh, Barbenheimer. It sure has. All right, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.